0: Beloved, if you could turn in your Bibles this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, we are diligently closing down the Christian life of the Apostle Paul. The last word we have from Paul is 2 Timothy, we're very far beyond the story in acts that presents the life of Paul and his ministry, and we've been surveying for something like three and a half years. Uh, this huge chunk of the Bible. If you take Luke's book of Acts and the portions that deal with Paul, which is uh, more than half of Acts, that it's talking about Paul and his ministry, and you take the 13, that we only have 13, that's 13 letters from Paul in the New Testament, that's a huge chunk of the New Testament. And if you assimilate all that together, as we've been seeking to do, you have a very big uh, chunk of New Testament theology that is telling us what God wants us to know and how to live. Just by way of survey a little bit with you here, uh, toward here at the end of our study of the Christian life of Paul, I mean, we have a few more messages from 2 Timothy. We're in chapter 2 right now. But just in terms of survey, uh, what are the big themes that we've talked about? What are some of the big ideas that seem to be consistent, whether we're in the stories in acts or in the letters, as they've gone chronologically from Galatians here through Second Timothy, the, the sequence of Paul's letters. What, what are some big ideas that have come out to you? You can feel free to, to, to say if, if something occurs to you. That's a very uh, risky thing for me to ask you in the middle of the message. Do you have anything on your mind <laughs> that you'd like to remind me? And I'm counting on you, Jerry, because you usually say something. Uh, <laughs> what are the big, anything, I mean, we're talking about the entire Pauline corpus. What jumps out at you? That is definitely a huge part of 2 Timothy is at the end. And, but, it, but, you know, the, 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 the fact of our death is throughout Paul's letters. Throughout Paul's letters, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. One of the greatest statements in Philippians, he's in prison, possibly facing the, the, um, the, 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 the Roman death of, uh, of execution. He didn't die there, but he was possibly going to die. And he says that in, in Philippians. big part of, of the text is the fact of our death. And Paul will say, I've been to heaven, and he was, uh, he says that in Second Corinthians chapter 11, I've been to heaven, and it's better. It's better to be with the Lord, but I think the Lord is going to make me stay here and work in this work for you. But it's better to be with, with, the, with the Lord. Now, I would, I would also say, if Paul was here, and we were having a conversation, I was interviewing him, I said, Paul, you said it's better to be absent from the body and present with the Lord, but you have to stay here and work, work on with the Philippians, is there something else you would add to that, given the culture that we live in, where life is cheap, where there are 13 reasons why? As the the Netflix people have, if you know what that is about, where the topic of, uh, well, why should we continue in this life is actually a big cultural topic. What do you think, what would you say about that, Paul? And Paul would say, well, uh, the only chance you get, I'm going to paraphrase Paul, the only chance you get to serve God in suffering is now in this life. And that's what I was saying about the Philippians. I'm here to serve you, and it's better to be with the Lord, but I'm going to suffer here and serve now because that's what Jesus wants for me, and because there's a judgment that's coming that involves crowns and rewards and glory for that service under pressure. So for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain, all right? So um, so yeah, the death and, and the fact of, of his death, he lived always under the sentence of death. And you and I do too. We never know when the last day is, and just as I like told the little kids, Uh, you need to number your days, you don't know how many you get, and each one is for God, it's not for you. If you'll do that, listen, if you'll say every day is for God and not for me, that's a big summary statement, right? Every day of my life is for God and not for me. If you'll say that and walk by the Spirit according to the Word in that, do you know what happens? Your day becomes awesome for you. Your day becomes what God wants it to be for you. Your day becomes the blessing that God has for you, and it doesn't depend on your circumstances. And I'm not saying that you commit your day to the Lord and that, you know, the universe makes good things happen. I'm talking about big picture, walking with God, fellowship with Him, and the rewards that come at the end. Now, what's another theme? I enjoy this little dialogue we're having. Uh, what is another major theme that comes out of the Christian life of Paul? I must have said, it. I think this is lesson and. Message 200 and what 60 or something? We're just getting started, really. Uh, what's another major theme? I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a hint. Why is Paul writing these letters? Why does he write the letters? That's what he's doing in Second Timothy. Why does Paul write all of his letters? I want to write some letters. <laughs> what's he doing? Paul has a commission from Jesus to evangelize and disciple believers. He has a mission from Jesus, and that's what the letters are about. The reason he travels is not because he's got some cardio he needs to work out. It's not because, well, I I like to backpack. It's because he's got a mission from God. He's got work that God has for him to do, and it's the mission. Now, where did Paul get this mission John Belushi said, we're on a mission from God. But where did Paul get his mission? From Jesus. So this is the Christian life of Paul. This is Paul, the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything Paul does is derivative, is directed from, is empowered by, is sourced in Jesus Christ. So to worship God on his terms is to get in, in, in really clear understanding with the apostle Paul. But that is the nature of the Pauline ministry. So this is really exalting Jesus Christ as we study Paul. Finally, I will, I will add mine. Making an example. Being an example, that's always true of the Apostle Paul. And he, like Peter, will always point to Jesus as our example with a capital E. The main example is Jesus. And those of us who follow his example become examples to others now watch this, not that they learn our kung fu, that they learn to fight like we fight, but that in looking at us, where did he get this? Where is he? What, what's he doing? Why is he doing what he's doing? They end up looking at Jesus. Jesus is the exemplar pointing to the Father, and all of us who follow under the apostles, like them, are pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 2, where we're moving from the the portion of pick up and move on, get back in the fight, get, get back up on that horse. You know, I heard dads when I was a kid say, uh, uh, walk it off, son, when you got hurt. Uh, if, you, if you got cut, rub some dirt on it, you know, get back after it. That's, that's the first part of Second Timothy. And now he's going to start giving him specific instructions, assuming Timothy's going to go back to the work. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. Remind them in these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to strang- not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed by accurately handling or rightly dividing the word of truth, but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like... Gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. In verse 14, you have the resumption of commands. And guess what happens when Pastor Dave spots a command in the writings of Paul? I put it in red, not because of Red Letter Bible, but because it's a reminder. I like the color red for highlighting. Remind them of these things. What things? The things of the great poem of verses 11 through 13, what we talked about last time. What was that poem? It's a trustworthy statement. If we died with him and we did, we will also live with him. If we endure with him and we do, we will also reign with him. If we deny him and we do, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he will... Remain faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If we are unfaithful, would be a better translation. He remains faithful. Remember on the outside, the, the first thing and the second thing in the poem, of verses 11 through 13, is your position in Christ. God cannot deny himself. Because you died with him, you're in Christ. In the middle is the question of whether you will have what God wants to give you, the reward of the inheritance where you will reign with him in the sense of additional rewards uh, on top of what is promised to all believers. But if you deny him, That, enduring with him, then he will deny you the rewards that he'd like to give you. That's what he's saying by way of paraphrase. It's not on the screen. I blame myself, but it's okay. We put it in red. Thank you. Most helpful. Remind them of these things. And solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Wrangling about words is useless and it ruins the hearers. I'd say it's useless and worse. Useless means, well, we could just skip it. Ruining the hearers means that we should completely avoid it. What does it mean to wrangle about words? I want it said this way. Oh, boy, do I come from a community that want it said just a certain way. And if you don't say it just this way, well, that's not what we're trying to hear. I once had a man tell me, uh, he listened to me for three or four years, and said, I'm just not hearing Bible doctrine. <laughs> and I said, what's Bible doctrine? And he said, of course, well, uh, the doctrine doctrines of the Bible. <laughs> I said, well, let's get our finger back in the Bible and teach the doctrines of the Bible. Well, actually, um, if you don't... if don't worry about the, the criticism. We all get it. Stand up and say anything, you're going to get criticism. Stick your head up. Someone's going to try to shoot it, shoot it and, and put you back down. Remind them of these things. It is very important that you get back with fixing your eyes on Jesus and the enduring that we're all going to suffer in the ministry of the gospel so that Timothy's now suffered and 2 Corinthians 1 He can go encourage those others who are suffering with the encouragement he's gotten from Jesus Christ. And that's what Timothy is now, through this suffering, through this hardship, he is equipped now to go remind them of these things, of our destiny in Christ and our call in this life to suffer for him in this mission work. I solemnly and solemnly charge these people in the presence of God not to wrangle about words. It turns out that the word who became flesh is called the word because God's mission is accomplished through communications, God speaks, so we'll know him, and it's, it's his thing. Language is his. Language is God's creation and, and method of revealing himself to us. I'll draw you pictures, but at some point, we've got to get back with Exodus and say, make no images of God. You have to get it through verbal communication. That's why God gave you a Bible and not a picture book. So what are we saying? That when you start messing with communication in the body, You start arguing about words instead of insisting on the love for one another that gives people the freedom and the space to grow and understand there are babies and there are adolescents and there are mature and we all have to put up with one another and we have to deal with the doubtful things. When you understand that we're not all going to agree on everything and especially methods of articulation the way we say the things that we're saying don't wrangle about words now this doesn't mean we can't do theology it doesn't mean that we can't use language to spot heresy no it's just saying you're not going to get into these spurious arguments that destroy the clear communication that we should have with one another about god's word i also want to point out that we should be talking to each other now there's the other thing well if we're not going to wrangle about words is it's we're also cussed and argumentative i love that word cussed we're also we're so stubborn and argumentative, we just better not talk to each other. Right? I just won't say anything, ever, and then there will be no problems. We'll just get along just fine, and we'll be little automatons, disconnected, unrelated, not knit together in our hearts in love. No, the protection is that you take care to preserve the peace as you engage. You don't wrangle about words. You may be wrong in your use of language. I might, as a beloved brother who comes alongside you to encourage you, say, here an example from first hour, you want to say God came in as the Father in the Old Testament and as the Son in the Gospels, and now he's the Spirit in the New Testament, but it's just one person with three manifestations. You might want to say that, but let me sit down with you over a glass of iced tea and explain why from church history we've been able by God's grace to reason that that's not at all what the scriptures say. And don't, don't worry about history. Let's just talk about the Bible. Jesus is God the Son in the Garden of Gethsemane speaking to God the Father, "If it be your will that this pass from me. So how is it that Jesus is God the Son in John 1, and yet in Matthew 26 he's praying to his Father? It must be that there is God the Father and God the Son. So do we have three, two gods or three gods? No, it is one God in three persons, the consistent witness of the entirety of Scripture. And so there's a certain way to talk about this. But you and I are not going to wrangle about this. It's not going to become a, I said, you said. It's not going to become a battle or a quarrel. It's going to be this is the Orthodox historic Christian faith, and this is why what you're saying is modalism, and we should talk about this. And there's a way to do it in a right time and a context, right? But don't wrangle about words, it's useless, leads to the ruin of the hearers. And this is in contrast, we're going to speak the word, not the dissension and discussion we have of our little, our little, almost proto-Gnostic, our special way of talking. Forget it. Normal, normal human language, just normal human language. You spudazzo, you be diligent. It's a command, I put it in red. Be diligent to present yourself. That means set yourself forth. Present yourself to God. There's so much here. Timothy's going to go preach to these people. Paul just told him to remind the people. And in a sense, we're pre- I'm presenting myself to you, right? Not in verse 15. I'm reminding you, but I'm presenting myself to God. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm not accountable. It doesn't mean that I'm not relational with you. It just means that I have a higher accountability than you, and so do you, than me. So present yourself to God. What does that word "present" mean? Got some military veterans here. Anybody that was ever in any JROTC program in high school or any kind of any kind of drill team, even marching band, okay, knows what it means to present yourself because people, if they're going to all move in the same direction at the same time, need to be quiet and listen to the one person giving the instruction. And so what you have are these formations. Formation. It's a cold, cold November morning in the deep, desolate recesses of Fort Hood, Texas. It's got to be 72 degrees. I'm just kidding. It's more like probably 45 degrees. It's 630 in the morning. And there they are, in their PT. clothes. By this time, they've switched over, and they're wearing their, their running suit, uh, you know, cold weather, physical training, uh, uniform. And they are all standing there. Um, the, uh, the condensation of their breath is visible. 50 people or so in a square of troops standing at attention waiting for the first sergeant the, the 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 top sergeant of the company to come out and tell them what they're about to do they're all standing there waiting they are not locking their knees they are bending their knees slightly but not visibly their heels are together their toes are at a slight angle out their hands are cupped and they are at the seam of their pt pants their shoulders are rolled back and they are waiting their head knives are forward and their ears are turned on. They're not looking around. They're not talking to each other. They are presenting themselves to the authority for what we are supposed to do for the day. That's a formation that goes on throughout the United States military. All over the place, every day, somebody is forming up to do some sort of either physical training or other training in their regular uh, fatigues, but their battle dress, uniform, whatever they call it today. But, um, that is, that is how the military works. It's the only way it works. Think about how many sinful people there are in that one formation of 100 people in a, in a company or 200 people in every company. Think about how many sinful natures there are, how many little petty disputes there are between people that are dealing with each other, young men ages 18 to 23. Imagine, imagine all the, 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 the complexity of the human interactions of hundreds of people. And we're talking about, in in a lot of them, just collections of angry young men. But I repeat myself, young men. (laughs) You have this formation, and yet there is order, and there is mission accomplishment. Why? Because the ethos of the organization is that we present ourselves, that we show up, and that we are rendering ourselves submissive in the sense of receiving instruction from a higher authority that we'll all go accomplish. That's what this word present means. It's setting yourself forth for the instructions of someone higher. And you're presenting yourself for God's approval. And this is like uh, when, the, when they parade and with their weapons and their dress uniforms and they parade around the parade field and the dignitary, the general, the president, whoever is standing in observation as he inspects the formation as they, as they pass by. You're presenting yourself, though, to God. Now, this is a hard thing for us to get, especially young people. You're not presenting yourself to your friends for their approval because they don't know. You're not even presenting yourself to your boss at work or to your mom and dad for their approval, ultimately, because they are just humans too. We are presenting ourselves to God. And Timothy, in this context, is told, as you remind them not to wrangle about foolish conversation, he needs to make every effort to be diligent, to make it his top priority, to present himself approved to God as a workman not as a playman, as a workman. Not as a as a fritterer man, not as a lazy man, not as a uh, get-over man, not as a I delegate all my responsibilities away and I go play kind of person, but as a workman. We're told elsewhere that Timothy is to be, and Titus, these men are to be examples to the flock in their work ethic. And that work Ethic renders you unashamed. Your conscience is calibrated by God. God has called you to a life of his work, and so you present yourself for his approval in this work. It's a personal relationship. And this is what Timothy's specific task is. You and I all have our specific tasks. This is Timothy's specific task. He, for their sake in teaching them, is to rightly divide ortho uh i forget the it's a hox ligament on here the exact it's it's the word to cut straight or to cut right this word uh it, this translation is the new american standard it's been i mean people get upset about it because it doesn't say rightly divide what rightly dividing the word of truth does not mean at all in context is figuring out what dispensation you're in and we teach dispensationally that's in ob- dispensations that God is working a different deal with Israel under the covenant of the law than he's dealing with us in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit. The, the, this is not rightly dividing the word of truth into ages. It's been called that, but that's not what he means here. What is, what is rightly dividing the word of truth? It could mean to cut straight. That's what the, the etymology of the word is, to cut something straight. And you're dealing, for example, with a tent maker, who had to cut and sew fabric together. Fabric's very expensive. Textiles are very challenging to produce. And so you cut the fabric straight because this square needs to sew together with this square and you need a straight cut. Ever try to cut with a skill saw a straight piece of plywood without a guide, gentlemen? It's not good. Unless you're, uh, unless you're long-term skilled, you know your equipment, and you've got a technique that you've developed over time, you need a guide to cut it straight. It's hard to get a straight cut. Imagine Saul, Paul, with first century scissors or knives to to get a straight cut on fabric. It could be that that's what he's talking about, or that's what he has in mind. And so that you're handling the word appropriately to get everything to line up. Maybe that's what he means, but it definitely means accurately handling, dealing with it correctly. Others have proposed, well, cutting straight means we're, we're blazing a trail, we've got a machete, and we're cutting a path through the, through the, through the jungle. We're making a trail, and we're trying to lead the people that, we're, that are following us on a straight path. And so we're cutting straight the word of truth. The reason I don't like that idea is, first of all, machetes and jungles, not the Apostle Paul. Um, I, I, I've seen movies too, but that's not what he's talking about. And he's talking, the object of the word cutting straight is the word. Somehow you're cutting the word straight. It's the material you're using to communicate. So it's, it's, it's a way of saying that you communicate the word correctly. And it has to at least mean this, that I'm diligent. I'm making every mission effort, every focused effort without any distraction of correctly using, interpreting, and understanding and instructing in the word of God, the word of truth. That is your, that's your building material, the word of truth. Remember 1 Corinthians 3, what, what material you're building with is how it comes out of the judgment seat of Christ, what you get in the gold silver precious stones built with the right materials here the word of truth is your material that you're supposed to present correctly and I'm concerned for God's approval I have a pastor friend who, who said you know we, we grew up under the same pastor you grow up with a mentor and, um, and they make an imprint on you and their ideas become it's like mom and dad like mom and dad think this way so I you know, when I differ it kind of bothers me because I'm always thinking what mom and dad would have thought my friend said, you know, it's, we all feel like Pastor so-and-so is on the back row of our church in every message, like he's there, and what he thinks about what I'm saying matters. It's how we are. Just imagine what I'm, you know, I came from somewhere, right? I'm standing on many shoulders to be here in front of you doing what I'm doing. After a lifetime so far of study, right, with, with wonderful teachers. And so so-and-so is on the back row, and what does he think about what I'm saying? And my, my pastor friend was like, eventually, you know, we've got we to let that go. Because we're presenting ourselves to God as unashamed workmen by accurately handling the word of truth. I won't be ashamed if I deal with it straight, if I cut the word straight. And that's my constant goal with you, so that's why my finger is constantly in the text. You know, we're in a summary phase in church. We're summarizing the... Um, the basic doctrines that we hold as a church family. First hour, we just had our fourth message on our basic doctrine. It's a great thing to freshen up on if you want to join our church and um, and and say you agree with our doctrine, you, you need to know this is what we believe. And so we haven't done this before since I've been here really in, a, in a, a systematic way, and so we're working through that. And that's a summary message. That's a summary of theology. That's not the same as what Timothy's being told here. He is supposed to be handling the word of truth. And our summary needs to be correct in its arrangement, but more importantly, where that comes from is exegesis, handling the word as we're doing, communicating with you, always presenting ourselves to God. One final note on this another friend said, You know, sometimes, David, we feel like you don't care whether we're here or not. We feel like, I know this sounds crazy, nothing gives me more of a neurotic sense of, 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 uh, of, of you know, pastoral malaise than if you don't come to church. Just. I deal with that with the Lord all the time. If you're not here, I, oh, what's going on? Take it for what it's worth. I'm a human. I'm, I'm limited. But um, but it, it, the, the, the comment was, feels like sometimes you don't even, you're not even worried if, you, if we're there or not when you teach. And my response to that is, I'm sorry if you feel that way. I certainly don't feel that way. But I do feel accountable to God for what I say and you want that (laughs) you want me to think whatever I say father regardless of how they receive it I want you to be pleased and it does that that hems me in I could say a lot of things (laughs) that a lot of you would like me to say that I I won't because I'm I'm actually seeking to please him and I know that if I stay here in the text that that will do so in verse 16 but avoid oh I missed a red Avoid worldly and empty chatter. Avoid, it's a command, to not do something. Avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. So, Timothy, listen, we're kind of getting a little insight into what Paul, what Timothy's been dealing with, what, why Paul has to write. We know Timothy's been kind of sidelined, and Paul says, stir it back up, right? We know that he's been told to remind them of their position in Christ and their need to work uh, out their salvation as believers, pleasing to him, and avoid wrangling about words. We know that Timothy is to present himself to God by handling the word correctly for them, and now this talk problem comes up again in Ephesus. You had it in verse 14, and now we have it again in verse 16. Avoid worldly and empty chatter. Worldly and empty chatter. Because it leads to further ungodliness. Now, before we get to the end of this passage, they're going to be denying the resurrection, okay? They're going to be making straight-up heretical statements that deny our salvation and the person and work of Christ. But it starts here with worldly and empty chatter that leads to further ungodliness. Guard your communications. This is your James 3-type message. What you say matters. How you use your mouth matters. The words you listen to matter. The words you say matter. Because of where it leads, I once had occasion to peel uh, stickers off of a uh, uh, off of sheet metal. You know who you are. Now, I once had occasion to peel some stickers off of uh, off of a car, and I noticed that uh, you could get a lot done with peeling. A, you know, some old sticker that some old like decal stickers. You could get a lot done if you got a good start. You have got to use the heat gun certain tools that may or may not scratch the finish. Um and uh and you but you've got to get a good start. And it's a slow little bitty start. But once you have that initial kind of beginning of that sticker, you get a little bit more, a little more heat on it, eventually that thing is gonna come off in a big in a big swath. And that's what you want. Otherwise you're just peeling little bitty toothpick sized things off and crying your eyes out and God why. Um little Old Testament lament. I think when I read this, I thought of this. Just a little bit of foolishness in our communication will eventually, can easily eventually lead to the denial of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Guard your tongue. It's more important than you think. We are very casual about our communications. We're very casual about what we're willing to engage in, what we're willing to talk about or think about. But notice that worldly and empty chatter spreads like gangrene. I can't hear, I can't think of a more uh, colorful word than gangrene to say what I don't want to be involved with. You know what gangrene is? That's where there's enough of a rot in the tissue, in the bone that they have to amputate. And if they don't amputate, you're going to die of blood poisoning. And it spreads. And so if you wait, if you've got something on your toe and you let it go, Toe rots, and they got to remove further up than the toe because of gangrene. And, it, and if you let it go long enough, they're going to take your leg, and if you, or you're going to die. And that's what he's talking about, that idea of the progressive rot that happens, and it's through communications. Among these, now we're going to name some names, among these people that are spreading these false, this, fa- this worldly chatter that ends up spreading like gangrene are Hymenaeus and Philetus, Men who have gone astray from the truth, and here's what they say. Listen to what I've been telling you. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. I'm sorry. I said they denied the resurrection of Christ. No, they're denying the resurrection for you. They're taking away the blessed hope that you have the resurrection in your future, and you will always have it in your future until it is your present, until you experience it. It is the blessed hope, and if you take that away from people, then that false doctrine that the resurrection has already taken place, denies us our hope, and robs us of our joy, and renders our mission effort irrelevant. Hymenaeus and Philetus apparently are false teachers, like Paul's been talking about in First and 2 Timothy, in Ephesus, or whose message has spread to Ephesus, like gangrene, and there is now in the Christian world that Paul has been basically building in the the power of God, he's been mainly responsible in this Roman world. This message that contradicts the Apostle Paul is spreading, and it kills the joy and the hope of the body of Christ, and that is the work of Satan. Satan (laughs) confuses people in order to deceive them, and he deceives people in order to get them to disobey God, and that's Genesis chapter 3. He confuses us in order to deceive us, and he deceives us in order to get us to disobey God. That's Satan's game that's his tactic and he does it in many different forms many different cultures many different expressions but the way you spot it is that there is some sort of communication confusion that is designed to land you on a deception from what God has said so that you will then act think choose in a way contrary to what God wants and he's excellent at it he's a master and it's it's well it's just diabolical <laughs> that's from the word diabolos or devil, it's the satanic method. Imagine the man who said, "We don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep in the Lord." First Thessalonians chapter four verses thirteen through eighteen, who says, "We who are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet them in the clouds, uh, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will we ever be with the Lord." comfort one another with these words imagine the man that said that who then in second Thessalonians has to correct the idea that the day of the Lord has already come it's the same doctrine here he's saying this false doctrine is going forward and I, I just want to exegesis his connections how did we get from verses verse 16 to verse 18 how did you get from verse 16 to verse 18 Avoid worldly and empty chatter. It's eh, it's benign. It doesn't. eh. He doesn't say how going from what seems to be chatter or eh, benign communication results in the embrace of false teaching that kills the church's joy. He doesn't say how we got there, but let me just propose one way. You're porous. Porous i 'm not talking about your skin, but that 's an illustration your pores you're porous. What do I mean? like a sponge, or like a piece of uh, of uh, pumice, something uh, some igneous rock with all the little holes in it you have receptors. And so do the other people around you. And like uh, like, elements that become molecules with covalent and ionic bonds in chemistry, you bond. You connect. You bond together. Second Corinthians 6, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. What does is, what is, what is your walk with Christ have to do with Deception from Satan to separate, but we're porous and we connect and we bond. And I think one way we bond is communication. We talk and we interface. And your communication is you sharing who you are in your soul with me, or at least sharing what you want me to think of your soul with me. And then the question of authenticity, honesty. But you're sharing yourself with the other person through communication, and it makes bonds. You all know. You, everyone had probably had the experience. Most of you maybe that that you started with somebody in your life that was forced on you from sheer happenstance. We, you know, no no coincidences, right. We know God's doing something, but but you're, you had somebody in your life that you didn't want you didn't take to at first, but they were there. They were a coworker or or something, and then over time communication happened you learned their patterns, they learn your patterns, you interact, you interface, and found enough common ground that there was a friendship that forged, even though very different, even though initially not interested, but circumstances we had to work together or whatever, you became friends. We all know how this works. And you can look at the two people and say, they don't really have a lot in common, they don't think a lot alike about a lot of things, but maybe their brains just work the same in how they communicate. The point is that we're porous and we're interrelational, and we form bonds with people, and they form bonds with us. And that's one of the great things about being human in God's image, is we're personal and relatable, interrelational. But there's a problem when the bond is false communication, when the bond is the lies, the deceptions of Satan, served up in your culture through a world system that has infected with its venom all cultures in the world. Satan's deception is in all cultures. It's definitely in your culture, whatever subculture of this conglomeration that we have today in our country is whatever you're from or whoever whatever culture or tribe you're identifying with believe me satan's world system has eaten has bitten and the the venom is there and you're going to bond you're going to connect and that initial bond that described worldly and empty chatter through communication makes these bonds and now we have the the disease is spreading through the body so that when the the big lie comes that the resurrection has already happened, we're bonded, we're connected, and we swallow it. Have you ever been in an organization that wanted commitments up front, and then you found out later, they're violating my standards and my integrity, but I'm already committed? I think that's what the Masonic Lodge is, with all my heart. I don't know if any of you are Masons. I've, I've read a little about it. I would, com- I would commend all of John Ankerberg's stuff to you on the, Ma- the, Ma- the Masonic Lodge. And I say that as a shepherd who loves you and wants the best for you and, and, and tell you to serve Christ and him only and no other false gods, whether they call their false god the grand architect of the universe or not. But they start with an oath, a blood oath, as you're just getting started in the Masons. And you don't know what, what the whole thing is until you're in it so deeply that you've, you've made so many compromises, just one more. A few have broken out and, and started talking. And we read some of their works. and uh, That's what he's talking about. We started with a little chatter, a little worldly chatter, and it begins to lead to further ungodliness. And then it spreads. And now, for example, these men that are denying the resurrection, that is the future of your resurrection. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows who are His. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Now, we started in verse 14 with remind them of these things, the poem of 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. Exegetically, he's refreshing that thought in verse 19. He's going back to these things that you remind them of. Now, notice the contrast. Timothy, you're in their lives to teach them God's t- doctrine, that God's teaching through the apostles, that was given by Jesus in the power of the Spirit. You're there to share that. You have competition with these guys, um, Philetus and, um, and what's the other guy's name? Uh, Hymenaeus. You have competition with false teaching. And they have a method that has gotten them in there, and there's a cancer that's developing. It's spreading like gangrene. And the way you spot it is worldly empty chatter that leads to ungodliness. That problem is what you're providing the alternative to in verse 19 the firm foundation of god stands the truth of god's word stands that regardless of whether you know the secret extra super super duper stuff that Hymeneus has to say the knowledge god knows the contrast between the false teaching of hymenaeus and philetus is what god knows you don't need to know what they say you need to know what god says and more importantly god knows those who are his This, in context, is the contrast to denying that the to to saying the resurrection has already come and all of you serving the Lord have missed it. Now the Lord knows who are His. You are in His care, not in the teaching of me or anyone else. That's not what secures you. It's the Lord Himself who knows you. He knows you're His, and that's the. By the way, that's the. If we died with Him, we'll live with Him. If we are faith unfaithful, He remains faithful. He can't deny Himself. That's what he's saying. The Lord knows who are his. But also, everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Look at the way he says verse 19. I, I know you're reading this fast. I hope you're reading through 2 Timothy two or three times a day in preparation for what we're doing. But This is, this is where we slow it down, kind of look at it, zoom in a little bit. Look what he says. The Lord knows who are his. That is what's settled But on your account, everyone who names the name of the Lord, those who are his, is responsible to choose in his experience something that he could not choose, but he's supposed to choose to abstain from wickedness. You see what I just said? The settled thing is the Lord knows who are his. And the thing in question is today, what are you going to do as one who calls on the Lord? Are you going to choose for his sake to abstain from wickedness? There's a settled thing. The Lord knows who are his. There's a thing in question. You are responsible for abstinence from wickedness. Now, how do you get that wickedness? How do you get a bite of that gangrene? Worldly and empty chatter that leads to further ungodliness. For example, this false teaching about the resurrection already already having happened. How will Timothy avoid it? He will cut straight the word of truth, and he will shut down. He will deny What did he say in verse 16? Avoid worldly chatter. He will remind them of these things and charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words. We have moved in 2 Timothy from his failure and needing to pick up and move on to what you do as you go forward. You keep your finger in the Bible, your heart open to God, and you shut down false teaching by presenting the truth. And watch out. This is an example of what I'm talking about, these two guys. That's the message of the Apostle Paul to Timothy, and, in, uh, and, and for us, and it's going to be even more brutal on our worldview in verses 20 through 26 next time, for us, the message is clear. We're not Timothy, but we're gifted. We don't have his apostolic emissary mission, but we have our cut in God's mission, every one of us. You have a spiritual gift if you have Christ. You have your part in the Great Commission. What is the solution to the deception of the, of the devil? It is to avoid worldly and empty chatter that leads to further ungodliness. It is to keep your finger in the Bible, seeking to correctly handle the word of truth. It is remembering your position in Christ, the Lord who knows, knows who are his, and remembering that you have, therefore, a call on your life. If you call on the Lord and name him, then you are to abstain from wickedness. Our Father, we thank you for the clarity of the scriptures, for the challenge it presents to us to look at it in detail, and the reward you give us, Father, when we get to mind these things and think them through together. We're richer for having done it, but it is a challenge. Just as Peter said, some of these things Paul said are difficult to understand at times, Father. We confess that it's a challenge for us. And now we turn our hearts and our intercession for those who don't know Christ. Father, I ask that you would make the issue clear in drawing them to your son, actually to yourself through your son. If we, don't, if we have anyone in the hearing of my voice today that doesn't know Jesus Christ, help them come to see that Jesus died for their sins and rose from the dead to give them eternal life. That the only hope that they have in this world is the salvation that is available only through the blood of Christ, what he did for them at the cross, paying for their personal sins. Father, help us repent of our arrogance saying it is on us to save ourselves. Repent of our self-sufficiency and saying we are good enough or we're good persons. Repent of all the sinful tendencies that amount to denying the work of Christ on the cross and let us trust alone in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Help those who may be hearing think these things through and come to the Savior through, come to the Father through Jesus the Son. Father, we bless you and praise you for this life, for the privilege we've had to think through these things. We ask that you'd strengthen us to live them as we avoid worldly and empty chatter in Christ's name. Amen.